Welcome to Boca Live, Boca Raton Magazine's first and only podcast, where you'll hear all about what to do, where to go, the best eats, and more in South Florida. Each week, you'll hear from us, the editors of Boca Mag, while we chat with the who's who of Boca and beyond about everything from wacky Florida stories to the hottest chefs to the biggest events. We're here and we're Boca, live. Welcome to another edition of Boca Live. My name is John Thomason, managing editor with Boca Magazine. So what would happen if you stuck Edgar Allan Poe and Emily Dickinson in the same room together and just let them riff on each other? That's the concept behind Edgar and Emily, a brand new play by Joseph McDonough that will open at Palm Beach Drama Works on March 30th. Poe, played by Greg Weiner, shows up at the Massachusetts doorstep of Dickinson, played by Marjorie Lowe, in a desperate state, seeking shelter from certain death at the hands of his own doppelganger. Now, such a meeting never actually happened, of course. McDonough describes his play as a comic fantasia, and he draws much humor and whimsy out of the possibilities. We had the opportunity to observe a rehearsal of Edgar and Emily, and we're thrilled to bring you some exclusive audio of the actors running through a couple of scenes. We also had the chance to interview the actors about their process. But first, let's hear a bit more about this production from its director, Bill Hayes, who is also the producing artistic director at Palm Beach Drama Works. I, I want to take the audience by surprise a little bit, but the, the general premise is, is Emily Dickinson is in her bedroom on a cold January night, uh, alone, solitaire, and uh, then come barging through her bedroom door is Edgar Allan Poe dragging his casket because he's been running from death for 14 years. Wow, dragging his casket. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, the playwright said he was inspired. He had done a, an earlier play uh, centered around Emily Dickinson and then had reacquainted himself with Edgar Allan Poe and realized that they had a lot in common. Not only were they were born, but both of them had an obsession with death. Uh, but there's just so many parallels, and he just thought, how interesting that would be to get the two of them in the same room. The problem is uh, he died very young at 40, uh, and when he died, she was very young. So we, he took a very uh, Edgar Allan Poe approach uh, to this work. And, and I would categorize it, it's really weird. I'd, I'd call it a, an absurdist comic drama. When I read it, I thought Marjorie Lowe and Greg Weiner seemed a natural fit not that they were necessarily physically, perfectly these characters, but I knew that they would both truly enhance and become the essence of these people. I'm a poet too. Isn't that nice? I am a poet. Good for you. I write every day, private poems, never for publication. I couldn't stand for publication of my most intimate thoughts. Uh -huh. But my poetry is always in my thoughts. The words are always whispering to me, whether I'm alone here in my room or alone with my precious flowers out in my quiet garden in glorious summertime. When autumn arrives, the flowers wither away, and when winter's here, my poor garden is lost with the snow. But the words, my words, they never die. That's charming. I am not charming. That's sweet. I am not sweet. I am also not an inordinately renowned fourth-rate poet. I'm not a fourth-rate poet. I'm sorry, third-rate. Or a third-rate. I happen to be a literary critic of considerable intellect, as well as an esteemed writer of penetrating prose tales of human behavior and cognition, and I am a first-rate writer. No. 
the most noteworthy writer that this young country has yet produced. Oh, I must be mistaken. What would you know? <clears throat> Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again I heard a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Of course. The Raven, not my own personal favorite, but universal acclaim overrules me. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again, I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what they're at is, and this mystery explore. Apparently I'm celebrated as a literary genius in the artistic capitals of Europe. It's all quite flattering, though maddeningly slow in coming. Surely there is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what they're at is. Are you quite serious? You rhymed lattice with their at is? It's no wonder someone's trying to kill you. Admittedly, my brilliance dimmed a bit on that line. Shameful. It's only an internal rhyme. It's much better throughout. I will say, though, there are a few parts of this poem, isolated stanzas, that are more tolerable. One or two unlikely phrases that approach pleasantness, even credible workmanship. Provided, creating in the reader a momentary illusion of pleasure. Perhaps not worth the fame and adulation that has been misbestowed on your poem. Well, let's see, you come up with a rhyme for lattice. I don't use conventional rhymes, they're simplistic. Lattice and where that is, it's just an unconventional rhyme. But there is a distinct difference between unconventional and merely bad. You might not understand. I understand unconventional rhymes. You should try to master the simple ones first. I have mastered them. I'm just offering a helpful suggestion. I am in no need of your helpful suggestions. Well, apparently you are. I am no longer engaging in this conversation. With most plays that you take on, you're playing a character that was invented by the playwright. Um, how is your process different in cases such as these when you're portraying a real person? Well, this one actually is a little different. I, we approached it knowing that this was a real person. So when you do something like that, normally you would do tons of research. And I certainly learned the generalities about her life and her background. But with Joe's play, this was a time where he said, put that aside. This is not the Emily Dickinson that you know, or the Edgar Allan Poe. There are enough little nuggets throughout the play where people will go, oh, there's a, something I recognize. Or, but he invented these, it's, they're very quirky, and kooky, and funny, and he just Egotistical, has, yeah. and, and you don't know for sure if Poe was this egotistical, you know, Guy. So yeah, no, the same. I, you know, we're we're approaching these characters pretty much, but ninety five percent as if they didn't right. really exist, which makes it, I think, a little more fun because sometimes when you're playing a, a you know a real life person, sometimes actors waste a lot of time and get into mimicry and mm -hmm. physicality, and this way we can just focus on getting the play to a place where ready for an audience and focusing on the relationship more 
and touching upon kernels of who these people really were mm -hmm. and leaving it there and not harping on it's it. It's definitely not a historical drama no. or the Bell of Amherst yeah. or anything like that. No, this is, it, there's a silliness to it, but then he also um, has some real things that he assumes these people thought about and that they have in common. Hmm. Yeah. So I think probably uh, audiences will come in having preconceptions about who they are. Uh, Emily Dickinson, the reclusive spinster, and, and Edgar Allan Poe, uh, the morbid gothic poet. And you think that they'll walk out having different conceptions of them? I think that every single person will uh, have the confirmation of what they thought, and every single person will also say, no, that's, that's wrong, and neither matters. I think they're just... It's just going to have fun. It's yeah, just I think fun. the play kind of establishes that these aren't, <clears throat> this is not going to be what you think maybe it's going to be from the title of the play. Right. Like, pretty much in the first, what, three minutes? They, he. It's over. He, yeah. You're done thinking that you're yeah. watching Edgar and Emily, except that there's two characters named Edgar and Emily. Anachronisms yeah. that establish, oh, this is a different world. Yeah. This is. <laughs> Like I said, quirky. Yeah. And, and how is the, the language in this play? Any challenges with 19th century dialogue, or is it written in a way that's more modern? It's, it's kind of, I don't want to say a hodgepodge, but because it's a universe that Joe McDonough created, there are really no rules. And so there are, there are words and lines that are very much of today's vernacular, and then there are those that are of the time. There are passages that are written beautifully and where they come from for Joe I don't know but they're challenging to get your mouth around and understand and mm -hmm. and I think it's a good enough balance of all of that stuff maybe it's a good sign maybe it's safe for me to venture out again I think I shall try and see how far I can get tonight yes it must be passed by now I should backtrack the other way Maybe he's gone for me at last. Perhaps. Perhaps you'd care to read while you're here. Perhaps you'd care to read one of my poems. What was that? Perhaps you'd care to read one of my poems before you go. One of your poems? Yes. Read one? Yes. Why would I want to do that? Just a short one. They're mostly short anyway. I thought you could read one while you're here. Yeah, I, I, I write about torture. I try not to practice it. Oh. Are you just saying that because I was unkind to your poem? Sadly, no. Oh. I say that because I fear the worst. The worst? The world is overstuffed with poets for whom mediocrity is a lofty ambition. I spent years as a literary critic. I read and tried to digest alleged poetry day after day after day. I didn't drink before becoming a literary critic. But soon, hard liquor became a medicinal necessity of the profession. Fraudulent claimants of the poetic muse were continually shoving their ill-conceived scribblings into my hands. Read my precious poem. Read my beautiful poem. It's a short one. You'll love it. <laughs> love is a rare, rare quality indeed. I don't believe you'll love my poems. Probably not. I harbor no such illusion. I don't like most poems. Yeah, there are very few that I can stomach. In the end, all I hope for with most poetry, what I fervently pray for, is if the, the endless gibberish isn't at least palatable, isn't comprehensible. Please, dear God, at least let it be amusing. I don't 
think you would understand my poetry. Oh, I, I would certainly understand it. No, I don't believe so. Uh, yes, I no, certainly... No, no, it would be a waste of time for both of us. You know, I did make a somewhat modest living as a literary critic. I am quite certain that the deceptively simple complexity of my poetry would baffle you. Baffle me? Perhaps one of my earliest poems might be a conquerable challenge for oh, you. Oh, please. But my better poems, those of which I am most satisfied, if not prideful, they are certainly beyond your comprehension. No, no, I'm not falling for your trick. I am not asking you to do so. Noble attempt, though it was, I must say. Very good, very good. May I please have a bit more cognac, Mr. Poe? I'm not reading your poetry. I'm beyond that. More cognac? You're not going to make me read anything that you've written. And I am most happy to hear that. I am now in agreement with you. I absolutely do not want you to read anything I have written. I would not allow it. It was a silly, stupid notion of mine, and I am sorry I asked. Now, could you please refresh my glass, please? And in terms of directing a new work, uh, well, when you direct an established work, you have uh, previous productions to draw on and can decide what worked from this production, what I want to change or subvert or everything in the middle. Uh, talk about the unique challenges of staging a new work and, and not having that net or not having that, that precedent. Well, I'm, I'm really careful even when I'm directing an established work. I, will, uh, I know that uh, there's directors who go up to New York and go to the Lincoln Center Library and look at the archivals. I make it a point not to do that. I want it to be my own, uh, so I, I don't think I've ever drawn from any previous production I've seen because I almost go out of my way to make it my own and put my own mark on it. Um, the, uh, the, I think the difference in a new work is I will come in with a very general vision but I'm not making choices at home that need, need to be made in a rehearsal room because it's not proven. Some things that work on the page have not been proven on the stage. And there might be, uh, and I, I want to come into the experience with a very open mind. Uh, be, and when I do that and don't, don't have set ideas, I think that gives birth to a lot of great creativity within the room. Uh, I'm probably more collaborative with a new play than I am with an established play. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think that's essential because uh, you have to enhance the work and uh, you're still trying to find it. You know, we're, we're, there's, there's a section we're going to work on later today near the end of the play that uh, uh, the through line isn't quite clear for the arc of, of Emily Dickinson and uh, so a bulk of our work actually for the rest of the week is going to probably be working on five very specific pages. Hmm. So uh, I need them on their feet. Uh, there's an element of improvisation that they'll probably do to help me explore what it, what it can be. Right. And then I will go to the playwright and say, we found some, we have some ideas today and some ideas for new dialogue, which will sharpen it and clarify. Right. And allowing the actors more of an opportunity to play and to improvise. You can't really have improv if you're doing Shakespeare or Ibsen right. or Mamet or something. Right, right. and yeah. often it strengthens the material to allow creative people to improvise sections. Um, so I, I guess that's the difference. Um, I'm, I've always been a very organic director when it comes to um, working. I work on my feet. 
uh, one dealing with blocking and creating stage pictures and, and that sort of thing. So my process is generally organic anyway. Do you feel that this play will prompt some patrons to either read or reread the work of these great poets? Absolutely. And uh, one of the reasons I'm doing it is because uh, Emily Dickinson is is wildly popular. She, there seems to be a resurgence in her work and there's all kinds of movies being made uh, about her. There's a new one that just come out, came out. I forgot the name the of it. The Quiet there's, Passion. Yes. It was in my top five of the year, last year. But there's a new one that's a comedy about her secret lesbian life. Uh, and I, I was just reading about it uh, two days ago. Uh, so she's wildly popular, generally with generally with middle age and older generations. But but Edgar Allan Poe is wildly popular with young people. So I looked at this as a play that would appeal to a very broad, you know, diversified demographics that all ages will come to this. Plus the fact that it's a comedy. Uh, and kind of zany, crazy fun, I think will have an appeal for audience because I think there's a hunger for laughter uh, currently in our social climate. Reading a poem of mine certainly would have ended in embarrassment for one of us, and I have no intention of facilitating that outcome. Give me a damn poem. Certainly not. Let me read one. No. And not just an easy one either. I wouldn't turn many. Let me read a few. Let's see this complexity. Are you... Certain? Are you confident you're suited to the challenge? Show me the toughest you've got. Well, if you so vociferously insist, I shall reluctantly comply. Just let me read one. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's uh, go. I haven't got uh, all uh, evening for this. Yeah. Uh, there is someone trying to kill me, after all. Uh, I don't... Oh, here it is. Okay. Um, Why on earth would you want to do that? I prefer to hear my words in the near darkness. Well, I might be the master of the macabre, but I can't read a damn thing in the dark. Is my eyes don't work as well as they used to. Is that so? My eyes are horribly ill. Are they? Yes. It's a burden. But you're still young? I've spent time with doctors in Boston, but not much has changed. Doctors, a miserable lot. Too much light causes me great pain, very acute pain. Oh. The greater the brightness, the more my head hurts. Oh, I don't want to hurt you. I'm afraid I might be going blind. I don't know what I would do. I'm sorry to hear that. I am. Thank you. I'm sorry about it, too. When I recite my poems aloud, I prefer to snuff out much of the darkness. My head and my eyes feel better that way, and strangely, my poems seem to brighten for me in my mind. Yes, but I'm afraid I can't read these poems like this, Emily. No, I yes. suppose not. So I'd like to read your poetry. Yes, let's leave the candles as they were. Yes, thank you. 
just a little while. They say it doesn't hurt. It's only fainter by degrees and then it's out of sight. A darker ribbon for a day, a crepe upon the hat, and then the pretty sunshine comes and helps us to forget the absent mystic creature that but for love of us had gone to sleep, that sound is time without the weariness. I measure every grief I meet with narrow, probing eyes. I wonder if it weighs like mine or has an easier size. I wonder if they bore it long or did it just begin. I could not tell the date of mine. It feels so old a pain. I wonder if it hurts to live and if they have to try and whether could they choose between it would not be to die. You're not often the joy of social gatherings, are you? There's more to that poem. You don't get out much, do you? No, I don't. I didn't think so. Would you like to read more? Uh, no. Oh. I've read enough. Oh. Well. Well? You're not an awful poet, Emily. You are decidedly not awful. Not awful at all. Thank you, Mr. Poe. I have survived poetry uh, uh, considerably more nauseating than yours. Thank you. In fact, I will admit, I detect in your poetics a concise resignation to morbidity that I personally find exhilarating. Mr. Poe. But what do I know? Oh, well, damn near everything. Thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my apologies. I, I lost control of myself for oh, a moment. No, I'm used to I'm it. I'm just overjoyed. I noticed. Yes, I'm just... Happy, happy that you liked my poem. Well, I didn't say I liked it. Well, you said no. You said that I just didn't find it revolting. My lack of vomiting should not be considered an endorsement. You're no Shakespeare. No, I, I'm no Shakespeare. Of course not. I can never see a Shakespeare. See? No one sees a Shakespeare. But you said you said you found my concise resignation to morbidity exhilarating. Exhilarating! You said that! Well, I suppose I did. Oh, I shall consider that a grand compliment. Wonderful. A commendation of the highest order. Not the highest Coming order. Coming from Edgar Allan Poe. No, exhilaration is fleeting, momentary at best. By the time you're aware of it, it's gone. You praise my morbidity. I am so happy. You know, I have seen more morbid. Coming from the master of the macabre. Uh, you know, actually, I detest that appellation. Oh. You know, I'm an artist, not an undertaker. You must read more. No, I must go. I'm no, no, no. Is it easier to do comedy or lighter material than it is to do something where you're just pouring your guts out on stage? That's a good question. Yes and no. I mean, there's always uh, both. Way Whatever be, you're doing, you way always to be say. Vague, Marge. <laughs> well, well, it is vague, because no, whatever you're doing, vague. you're always bitching about it. <laughs> you're like, it's oh, true. comedy is so much harder than, than serious, and then when you're doing the serious, like, oh, God, I wish I was just doing a light comedy. Yeah, they're just different. Mm -hmm. One's cerebral, and the other is completely guttural. But even in If I Forget, there was so much 
uh, of everything in it. You'd have a horribly dramatic moment and then kind of a dick joke in the next breath. <laughs> and so, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty much everything, that play, not to harp on it, but that, was, that play was like everything that you love about being an actor. It just had everything that you want. And Joe's trying everything. to do the same here. He's uh, he just reverses it. He's it's very light and fun, mm -hmm. and um, and then he does try to move it into some real interesting ideas that stuff. maybe you know they certainly had in common in their poetry. Yeah, right. So imagine if they were talking about it. Yeah, and we haven't even really gotten into the tragedy part of we're the play where we're that's today. So, you know, yeah, you're right. Right now it's just physical humor and slapstick and lighthearted right. banter. And, and what is fun, and I'll fun. tell you what's easy is, because we've worked together. Now, a it lot. is a lot, and so, uh, directly after that. So I know when I'm struggling one day, all right, well, Greg will, he has my back, or vice versa. Yeah, we have patience for each other. For now. <laughs> I do anyway, and I have to because she's a handful. I mean, wiener and lo low and wiener. Low and wiener. <laughs> Sounds like a beer. <laughs> or a law firm that I would not whose, whose services I would not want to use. <laughs> exactly. Hey, what do you mean? <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time oh, today. Yeah. Thanks. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Excellent. This has been John Thomason for Boca Live. Our special thanks to Bill Hayes, Marjorie Lowe, Greg Wiener, and the entire team at Palm Beach Drama Works. Edgar and Emily runs March 30th to April 22nd. Adult tickets for most performances are $75. Students with valid IDs can get in for $15, and patrons ages 18 to 40 are invited to pay their age. You can reach the box office at 561-514-4042 or order online at palmbeachdramaworks.org. And if you're interested in sponsoring the next Boca Live podcast and getting your message to South Florida's most discerning listeners, please email sales at bocamag.com. See you next time. You can subscribe to Boca Live through the Apple Store and listen to episodes online at bocamag.com.